Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Pensacola, Florida, it's time for Pensacola Business Radio. Now, here are your Business Radio X hosts. Welcome to Business Radio X Pensacola. You're listening to Moto Talk with Emily Elmore, brought to you by the Moto Doll. We're bringing you stories of planes, cars, trucks, and things that go. And along the way, we'll learn about the incredible humans behind the motors and take the lessons learned on the road, in the cockpit, and under the hood to smash through our own roadblocks and journey boldly. Welcome to Business Radio X, Pensacola. You're listening to Moto Talk with Emily Elmore, brought to you by the Moto Doll. We're bringing you stories of planes, cars, trucks, and things that go. And along the way, we'll learn about the incredible humans behind the motors and take the lessons learned on the road, in the cockpit, and under the hood to smash through our own roadblocks and journey boldly. Hey there, Motoheads. My guest today is Colby Davidson, conservation educator and wildlife photographer. Currently living in California, he has photographed some of the most amazing predators, flora, fauna, everything you can think of. And he has gone from Kenya to Peru. He's going to tell us all about it and some of the lessons he's learned along the way. She's using big words today. Yeah. I like it. I like it. <laughs> flora, flora fauna. and fauna. <laughs> yeah. You bet. Bonus. Yeah. Sweet. So, hey, tell us a little bit about yourself and about some of the experiences that you've had. Well, uh, I've been working as a conservation educator and well predominantly for like the last 12 years or so um i've worked in a lot of different environments a lot of different animals uh, a lot of different ecosystems where my main focus was essentially to bridge the connection between the people that i was teaching and the natural environment so um in just my work experience i've gotten the opportunities to work with you know, lots of different species of fish. That was kind of where I started. And then it just sort of branched out and started working, uh, you know, you kind of went a little bit bigger, like where do the fish live? It goes in the rivers, watersheds. And then you start talking more about like larger ecosystems. And Lions and tigers and bears. Yeah. So it's just, you know, just kind of like everything sorts of sort of builds on top of itself. And um, as the seasonal work structure sort of operates, you end up in these situations where you're like, Hey, you're dodging of, lions and stuff. Well, no, no, you just you you someone hears something about you because they saw you working here and they're like, "Hey, we really like the work you're doing. Do you want to come work for us?" And yeah. you know, in the beginning you're able to operate pretty pretty effectively um, in that system, but then at some point you need to develop certain skill sets. Yeah. Uh, like running <laughs> <laughs> away from I the mean, bears. I'm saying this because I've seen some of your pictures. So, you know, obviously oh, yeah. the, the, the lions mowing on the, uh, on the zebra. Oh no, uh, I was uh, just thinking like specifically from like an educational standpoint, yeah. right? There's just like certain concepts that you need to be able to communicate. And there are certain like student learning outcomes. You have to learn how to, you know, articulate in a way that's like really easily understood by a, a mass population of people, yeah. mostly students who are coming from lots of different, you know, um, economic backgrounds and uh, just Languages overall. and all that stuff, too. I mean, yeah. you're, you're in different countries and stuff, so. That's right, and that's one of my favorite things about all the pictures that you have is that you're so great at telling these narratives that bring stories from, you know, these animals or the environment that you're, you know, existing within and helping to conserve, and then you're able to tell a story that is 
salient and relevant to them, even though they didn't necessarily feel connected to it to start, by the end of it, they really do. And that's the, the beauty of some of the photos that you've done. So tell us some of the favorite photos that you have. And I think I already know you're probably going to mention Kenya. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely Kenya's up there. Um, Kenya and, and Borneo were probably two of the, the biggest trips. Or they, they are the two biggest trips that I've been on so far. And there's sort of these... Um, I don't know, like the, this, this accumulative goal over time was to eventually go to these places. And then when the opportunity arose, it was like, oh, heck yeah. Like yeah. there's some, some cool stuff is going to happen here. Um, Borneo was like the first one that I went to and I just, it completely blew my mind because it, I grew up watching all the David Attenborough films and a lot of the ones from, uh, it's called The Private Life of Plants. I think there's like six episodes and a lot of the really unique species of plants that he talks about, that he discusses, like the diptocarp trees. Um, there's some we don't know old, what any of those are, yeah, but there's yeah, trees. Yeah, so really cool words. trees. Yeah, yeah, they're really <laughs> Probably cool trees. some fancy flowers. Yep. But they, they have some of the large, the, like the longest distance of like seed dispersal on the planet. And I remember like walking down the trail and then seeing one of these seed pots on the ground and just going, ah, and I just hear David Attenborough's voice in my head telling me what this plant is. And it was just like, so oh, it was, it was like your, this. it was like your life narrated. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. Right. Being, yeah. By, being narrated by David Attenborough. Yeah. You know, David Attenborough was just plugged into my brain. He was like, <laughs> "That's from a dipterocarp tree." You're like, "Whoa, that's cool." Yeah, and, and then you get to take pictures and bring it back to folks like me who, no chance I'm going to make it to Borneo yeah. probably anytime yeah, yeah. soon. And it, it's you know, it's like the third largest island in the world, but almost everyone that I've t- spoken to, no one knows where it is. It's yeah. in Southeast Asia. Um. It's, sure. And it's, okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. Right. Like, like that's that's a large yeah. area. Yeah. Some of the largest conservation issues on the planet exist just on that island. Half of it's owned by Indonesia. Half of it by Malaysia. Malaysia is a bit better, um, at least you know from like on paper about this sort of sorts of uh, the ways that they manage their lands yeah. there. A lot of the deforestation happening in many of the different rainforest ecosystems. Most of that is happening on. Uh, on the Indonesian side for palm oil plantations, which is like one of the reasons palm oil is so Oh, sure. Bad. Yep, I know that's like big. Yeah, so there's a lot of like habitat fracturing, it. wildlife corridor, human-wildlife conflict issues that happen on those areas. And that's sort of where I started to realize like, wow, this stuff's super interesting. Um, and to kind of like, you know, bring that to California, when I came back from Borneo, uh, we were most, like, most of the time you're just driving through and then all of a sudden it would just be this pristine rainforest. And you get to a part where it's just palm oil plantations as far as you can see. Devastated that natural wildlife. Yeah. And so you're thinking like, okay, clearly like nothing can live here. Right. You know, not, there's, there's no Except way. Except for palm oil. Except for palm oil. Like there, you I mean, do you like, like donuts? No, yeah. Is that, <laughs> no, what, is that like, what they use palm oil for? They use it for lots of different things. It goes in like cooking. Uh, it goes it's in, like Crisco, isn't it? Uh, well, it's like really thick and... In, in, in it's red actually, which is kind really? of cool. It's yeah. a little creepy. Some of the unclarified stuff. But it's just... So you're going through and you're like, well, I know that Bornean pygmy rainforests or pygmy, Borne, Bornean pygmy elephants can't live here. Orangutans can't live here. Proboscis monkeys can't live here. They don't have food. There's no shelter. Right. It's just like palm tree and then like ground. No flower, no egg, no nothing. I mean, they nothing. can't even yeah. make a donut. So there's just a clear delineation between the two uh, you know, ecosystems. And then I come home and I live in like in Sonoma County. Sonoma is right next to Napa Valley. Wine mm-hmm. country. Wine country, yeah. right? Like vineyards as far as, Lush, as you can see. Yeah. And you start thinking like, wow, this is pretty synonymous with what I just saw. Like yeah. this is... Nothing lives this there is but the, the same grapes. Thing. 
Yeah. You know, and it's kind of um, like the wheat fields and all that other stuff. I mean, yeah. any other large major crop, I guess. Yeah. Right. But then how do you reconcile that? Because you have this market that's not going anywhere. Right. And, well, so, you, and you have, so you have this conflict that you described between the wildlife and the ecosystem and then the people and the market that's driving right. the sales, you know, the product yeah, that they grow there. Definitely doesn't seem like people are going to stop drinking wine at any point in time. I, I mean, <laughs> so I'm, part I'm of not. it, you know, so this is sort of like the, the, uh, the origin of this idea, like just sort of the realization like, wow, okay, I've mostly considered, you know, logging to be a bit, a pretty big, like way of uh, disrupting wildlife movement on the planet. But also, you know, like things as, as seemingly harmless as growing grapes can also do the same thing. Um, and then, it, so then a couple of years go by and then there's sort of like the pinnacle trip of my life so far, which was going to Kenya. Pictures and are amazing. If you get a chance, <laughs> go to Colby.Davidson on Instagram and look at his Insta gallery. It'll blow your mind. Yeah. There's a lot of like Instantly. California native species there. There's a couple from like my trip here to Florida and then also, uh, yeah, lots of different. Right. And this Kenyan trip that you're about yeah. to talk about. Right. So the Kenyan trip, there's, Yeah. Any wildlife documentary that you watch, yeah, it's, to, it it's was totally it's basically the Lion crappy. King, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like it's, it's like real life Lion everything, King. Everything you see the lives there, you know. And and ironically, I actually started a job at uh, at a safari park at home, and so I kind of like you know learned about some of the different species of antelope, which you know you don't think antelope are that exciting, but the the great migration is driven by antelope. It's driven by the wildebeest. And That's so, always the one you see in the film where, like, where they're the, going across the last the man straggling, right? Is <laughs> the one that gets snagged. Yeah. Well, so what it is is there's, there's like, they'll all build up right along the riverbank because mm-hmm. they know that the, the Nile crocodiles are down there. Yeah. Like, mm-mm. And you see them move in and then you got, you have the hippos moving in too because the hippos will kill things, but yeah. They're you know they're not eating them they're just and they're, they're just angry they're just right. angry yeah hungry hungry hippos yeah <laughs> so they all build up and you'll see them like they're out in the grass and um, normally what's causing them to migrate is this is basically they're just looking for grass they're looking for green grass and you have to imagine their populations are between like one to three million um, all fighting over the same squab of land right yeah so but then it gives you exciting chances to take pictures because then you get all the stuff coming together. Right. Yeah. So you, you sort of like, you see this, uh, this amass, uh, right at like Exodus. The, <laughs> yeah. You just see this right, right at the, right at the, the border of the river. And they're all kind of like pushing each other. It's like people at a concert. Yeah. And then at one po- some point, one just goes for it and yeah. then it just triggers every, everything else. And then they all just flood down and they try to get through as fast as possible. Yeah. And the crocs show up and they start like snapping and, it's a circle so of life, man. Happens, <laughs> but what was interesting about last year is that there was so much, so much precipitation there. It was so wet. The grass was super tall, like within, you know, the rec, the basically like the recollective history of the people that were alive. Right. You know? um, they couldn't remember it ever being that wet. It was so wet that the so animals sweet. didn't have to move. They didn't have to migrate. Yeah. Uh, because there so was the just crocs, so much they food. just starved and then and through, totally threw the cycle <laughs> no, off, right? So they're still they're still migrating. They're just not. It's not the the incredible like scene that you do yeah. see. It's essentially drought, like periodic drought that that causes them to do those movements. Right. Uh, so that wasn't present last year. It was raining like the whole time. Um, and they so, say global so, warming's not real. <laughs> yeah. So like the 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 area the the what happened was that the river crossings weren't as intense. There yeah. weren't, you didn't see the crocs run up and like start snapping things. I didn't see it at all, but you did see it from when it had happened before. You just see like 
Willoughby's body is like washed up on shore yeah. and just, you know, all spot five species of vulture just down there, just going crazy. Just going at it. I, I um, picture, I picture a Disney movie. I, they're all talking and, you know, shooting <laughs> birds and then just hanging out and, you know, chewing on some wildebeest. <laughs> we like to joke that the only species or the only, basically like one of the only animals other than giraffes, I guess also, but that didn't have a speaking role, but that had a major role in Lion King right. where the wildebeest, you know, cause they killed right. Mufasa. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's just these, you know, these iconic scenes that you see and you, you, you kind of create and, and then seeing lions and, and Maasai giraffes and the Maasai people and the, the, the ecosystems that, yeah. you know, how, how far away from all of this were you? Cause like your pictures, I mean, it looks like you're just like hanging out while they're just chewing so, on the zebra. So, right. So, but, so I have like a 600 millimeter lens. But Which I'm is not, very big. It's yeah. really big. It's It'll really give big. you lens yeah, envy really if you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, you got that the other day. Um, so it also give you back pain. <laughs> it's weirdly, it gets more balanced as you like take it out. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the further you go out, the lens kind of like balances itself on the camera body. Right. And it's not as hard to hold. Plus you can get like a little monopod or a tripod. Anyway, you're like sitting in a truck and you're just kind of like driving around. This guy's like these Maasai, you know, villagers, mm-hmm. these Maasai warriors, these people who historically in order to like achieve manhood, had to go out and kill a lion yeah. with a spear. Right. These guys are yeah. so bad. It's like the real it's deal. Insane. Like <laughs> yeah. they're, they're, yeah. they're so cool. They can identify each different species of poop and which antelope it belongs to. There's like 70 different species of antelope. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's more poop than I ever really want to know. It's <laughs> like they know the different sizes and stuff. And um, so they're going around like showing you all this cool stuff. And um, so they just drive you around and then they're like, you know, they'll see a giraffe or a, a tower of giraffes, which they're called. Mm. You see them like staring at the bottom of this tree, and you see this eagle hanging out in the top, in the top of this tree. And so we we drive up, and I'm like, oh, cool, look at that eagle. They're not looking at the eagle; they're yeah. looking at the giraffes, looking at the bottom of the tree. Giraffes are like the best indicator of there being a predator nearby. They're super awkward animals, but they're taller than everything right, else. Right. And so they're just staring at the bottom of this tree, and we roll up, and I just like don't expect there to be anything, and all of a sudden I see a cheetah bolt out from like underneath the tree and just like zip away and it was the first cheetah i'd ever seen in the wild yeah. and i was like ah we gotta like, fall, <laughs> quick grab the camera fall, we gotta follow this thing you know and i didn't have my camera up i had it like up in the tree and uh and it was just wow i just i didn't you gotta be ready huh yeah you know and, and the crazy thing is that when you're when you're there everyone that sees your photos for the most part some people have a tr- have trouble like telling the difference between a a, a leopard even a jaguar, which is in South, in South, you know, Central South mm-hmm. America and North America, and then uh, and leopards, you know, leopards, cheetahs, and jaguars. For a lot of people, they're pretty like ambiguous. Right. So. Big cat, don't go too close. Yeah. I get yeah. it. Yeah. 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 You know, people know what lions look like. People know what elephants look like. People know what giraffes look like. Because Zebra. of Lion King. Thank you, Lion King, <laughs> yeah, for yeah, bringing yeah. that familiarity <laughs> to us. You know, Leave and so when, right. you, when you take photo, you're taking photos of like the most iconic animals on the planet. Everyone knows what they are. And and they're just hanging out. Yeah. Thirty yards from your truck and they don't care that you're there. Yeah. And so you're just like, Well, uh I guess I'll just take a bunch of different photos of you and like see which ones work. Yeah. You know, so But you caught so many amazing I was right. like n- these natural moments that happen for humans also. So I want right. to talk a little bit about my favorite one just real quick. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of <laughs> scrolling through. I cried during this one, actually. Yeah. This one is like a pretty amazing picture. If you get a chance to look at it, it's a mother cheetah cleaning her baby, her cub mm. after a kill. And he has a whole series of photos 
of this particular kill and her showing the babies how to eat. But then afterwards, after they've made a royal mess of things, she goes in and there's this blood really carnage all around everywhere, right? I mean, <laughs> they're just splattered. Really yeah, they're just splattered yeah. with yeah. blood, yeah. right? But they're kind of wrapped around each other, and this little cub is looking up at her like, "Mom," you know. <laughs> and then there's same you know, kidney. It was good. That's right. And then you know, mom is cleaning the cub, right? And right. it's like this moment where it's like, "Man, this is me last night. I had a kid that I was, you know, yeah. cleaning up after a wild episode of potatoes, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and he there had is potatoes like, in his ear, in like, his ear. In his, mm-hmm. How do you do that? Yeah. Dude, my daughter once took a whole bowl of oatmeal and just looked at me and was like, boom. Right yeah. No, we've all <laughs> right been there, the head, right? Dude, totally oh right yeah. The and so that's like, you know, that's part <laughs> yeah. of this narrative, right? Yeah. Is that all of a sudden it's not this it's, animal that's so far right. detached from me. It's this very like, emotive response yeah. that I'm experiencing. Exactly. Because like I've looked at my baby after making a royal mess of himself in that exact same way and cleaned him just as Delicately. Were you licking the potatoes off, though? I mean, very... Yeah, no, I mean... Yeah, yeah they're delicious yeah. potatoes, let's be <laughs> honest. I make some real good potatoes. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I mean, so it's a really great story that he's telling with these pictures, yeah, with these right. really amazing predators that you think of as being, you know, just these voracious carnivores. Right. And you kind of disassociate yourself from them. It's very easy, I think, as people to right. separate ourselves from the environment around us, right? Yeah. We almost become um, superior to the system, even though we're very much a part of it. And that's what I really love about, you know, what you're doing is that you're trying to bring that, you know, back together and show, hey, look, not only are we a part of this, but we impact it every day. If we, you know, just subscribe to these markets and don't think about sustainability, then we're going to mess the system up in a way that's going to impact pretty sizable human populations at some point. Yeah. And they may not be, American populations, Mo- yeah, initially, right, and so for not, yeah. yeah, so for a lot of us, it feels so far removed from what we're currently experiencing, or what we might experience in the future, that we're almost tone deaf to it, and especially when people are talking to us about it, because even as we've gone through here, you start to get so excited about certain topics that it's easy to say, oh, okay, cool, palm oil, right, palm yeah. oil. Like I understand that there's the, a sustainability piece here, but I don't necessarily understand all the semantics that you're using. And then all of right. a sudden I start to tune out. But then when I see that coupled with a picture and I see that devastation and I see those pictures, you know, of these incredible animals with these experiences that are so similar to my own, then all of a sudden I can start to think, oh man, I'm a part of this system and look how dramatically I'm impacting it. And just the difficulty that that is, that conflict that right. inherently exists between humans so, and wildlife. Sorry, go ahead. Well, as you say, it's like, it doesn't affect you until it affects you, right? Yeah. Right? And yeah. so your way of, of helping it affect you and getting people to relate to it, the picture works, right? I mean, right. almost like seeing a movie or... or I yes. Mean, you don't... these stories that right. you might not get just right. from like the verbal retelling of right. it, which is one so of the it reasons... it still be 10,000 miles away yes. and it still affects me because, because I can relate to it because now I have a visual... Right. You know, with some emotion yeah, behind it. There's right? some, it there's a, a, something. like relative relatability there. You're yeah. like... I can see myself in that cheetah mom, yep. you know, and one of the things was, you know, photographing elephants for the first this time. So awesome. This well, is one so of my the, favorite animals the ever. The first time that I photographed elephants in the wild was actually, it was in Borneo and it was with these Bornean pygmy elephants, which are only like seven are feet like tall. Are they like mini elephants? They're, so they're, a, there's some speculation as to like where they come from. Can I get one? I mean, is I, it like Emily's size? Like, hey, is it like yeah, a fun like, size elephant? Back with the dog or so, what? <laughs> so for all intents and purposes, they look like an, Asi- an, an Asiatic elephant. Um, 
they've got just the same like you know physical features and everything but they're super small they're only like seven feet tall their tails touch the ground so a little bit bigger than giant giant ears and they're just so cute and the babies are so small and i found out that these things existed probably like two or three months before the trip and i was like i want to see one of these things and we were going along this river that was like i'm gonna see this Mm -hmm. we get there and i was i told our guide I'm not leaving until I I see one. (laughs) We're going to see these. And he goes, well, we haven't seen these in like five months or something like that. So it's really unlikely. He's like, don't, I don't want you to get your hopes up. I was like, you don't understand. I have to see this. No, it's like, I will see this. Oh, you're telling me. You made it happen. I was like, I'm, I'm going to see these. And he goes, we're going into the jungle. You know, sure. Like what, you know, okay. Okay. You know, and we're driving, we're like, we do these, all these river tours, drive up and down, like looking for primates and different animals along the river. And we, um, we're like we're cruising down and we're like lock- we're looking at these proboscis monkeys which have this like crazy looking nose you should look at an image kind of like them. the baboon but yeah it's proboscis like, yeah. just means nose but it's just it's just so like the In males are really it's like a <laughs> yeah it's a bit inappropriate looking if you phallic. Like, it, yeah, it's phallic looking it's, it's phallic a looking phallic face okay. yeah and they're really funny they're funny looking animals but um they're endemic they're only found there and right. so we're like walking around and we see all these really cool hornbills that are flying around in the trees and um, is that like Zazu? He, yeah, like Zazu, but the the Asiatic species, which are much. We're bigger. gonna relate every one like, of his pictures back yeah, to yeah, Disney. Yeah. That's what I got. <laughs> that's, that's how that's how people. Yeah. That's how they're that's gonna all, like. That's all I got. Well, yeah, hornbills are found basically everywhere from like Africa over all the way over into Southeast Asia. So yeah. throughout all of the basically the Indian Ocean, everything. But uh, these are rhinoceros hornbills, which are super iconic. And then he gets a call on the radio, and you can't really hear it over the engine. And plus, they're like speaking in Malay. And, uh, so we just like turn around and we just start zipping up the river up, up by, you know, going past an area we'd already been by. Right. And I turn around and I look at him and I was like, elephants. And he kind of like, he's like, yeah, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> told you <laughs> freaking told you, dude. Yeah. Um, and so we get there and we're, we're cruising around here. We're looking, we're looking and all above it's like the most remarkable thing from and i was just like so proud of myself above the engine sound of above this two-stroke you know yeah. boat engine i hear this and i was like stop the boat <laughs> <laughs> and so we stopped the boat pulled around and i was like listen and then right after that we get like two or three trumpeting sounds that go nice. off and i was just like yes and there it was funny is like the grass that they're eating the grass that they're walking around in is like twice as tall as they are right so you, you see just the see grass their, their, moving the trunk well, you just, well you just see the grass moving and then all of a sudden these like beautiful you know elephants just like emerge through and they're just drinking from the river and that's yeah. like all they wanted and you just see them like uproot these they're giant pieces out. of grass and they're just like chomping on the grass and they throw it on the ground and we like cruise around the corner and we see this baby by itself and like mom was like kind of in the bushes behind it and it it was funny because it, it just does the thing that you know the kids do it just it grabs a bunch of grass and it's like looking right at us and yeah. it's just it's like, hey, what's you, up? it knows you're there right yeah. and it grabs a bunch of grass and just throws it on top of its head <laughs> you know it's like it's either like i'm just doing this because it's funny it's or, the oatmeal on top of the yeah. head move yeah, yeah. yeah. or Seriously. it's the totally. or i'm like i'm trying to hide from you <laughs> no, you <laughs> can't see me and then it falls off so it picks it up and it does it again and i was just thinking like wow were you taking pictures? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. Those photos are on there. They're like way back. But this is like before I knew how to use my camera. So like what I'm sort of alluding to is that, you know, by the time I get to Ken- by the time I get to Kenya, I've been thinking about those trips so much. And like that specific experience was like remarkable because I'm thinking, 
there's so much emotion that can be captured. And I started looking closer at like uh, wildlife photographers, like um, Paul Nicklin, for example, who if you look Captured, up his stuff, he does yeah. a lot of Arctic themes, which yeah, are pretty yeah, yeah. rad. He does a lot of like, you know, just Water. conservation, yeah. um, like endangered How, species, right. like yeah. poaching, stuff like that. And he's, he's a photojournalist, his, him and his, uh, his wife, Christina. And I started thinking like, wow, they're really showing, they're really creating a narrative with their images. Mm-hmm. How do I do that? You know, I had no photographic experience before I got into cameras. I was just like, this is, some, I like taking pictures. I don't know why but I really want to try and do this. And so most of the time I was just taking pictures of Im- of organisms that weren't doing anything interesting. They were just standing there, but I was excited to see them and yeah, capture them. Yeah. And so it's like, how do I translate that into something that's more interesting? It's like, yeah, it's cool that they're here. And like when you're using a, a platform like Instagram, it's it's like a gallery, you know, it's you're not mm-hmm. showing, you're just putting pictures up there and people right. are like, oh, that's cool. You only got cool. A, piece of the, a piece of the puzzle. Yeah, right. And so how do I create like a story out of this thing? And so by the time I get to Kenya, I'm sitting here. At some point, I realize I can't take a bad picture of these animals. So let's try to find them doing something interesting. And then we came across in Amboseli. It's a um, there's a, a big national park, and we're in Old Kenya Conservancy, which is outside of it. It's like a a portion of land that's owned by the Maasai people, mm-hmm. and they basically lease it out to tour agencies. Mm-hmm. And that's how it's they like generate a money. Park. Well, but they generate money for themselves, so right. they can send their kids to school. And, uh, and it's a big preserved area and there's so many more species of wildlife there than there are like in the national parks. It's cause they know they're safe. <laughs> yeah. So, but what ends up happening is just like, so, um, I forget where I was going with that. You're looking to find uh, emotional experience with the animals. Yeah. So we're, we come across these elephants and the dirt there is like super red. It's like, yeah. it's renowned for how red it is. And, uh, they just start like dust bathing themselves and so they start throwing like dust on them. And it's just like this really beautiful picture of like all the dust flying in yeah, the air. All the red dirt. And there's like, you, know, you see it like splash off of them and, and then they're like snuggling and they're, they're very affectionate animals. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, okay, this is kind of like where it starts. And so I just started looking for different emotions being projected through their behaviors and like, yeah. how do I like capture this? But if you haven't been around elephants, it's hard to know that. Right. It's hard to know like what they're doing or what they're doing. Yeah, feelings. but I can, I mean, even from the, just the few pictures I looked at, I can see, you can see emotion in their face. Yeah. And I think that that's important, right? You have to, if, if you want to be in conservation, you can't just be a one man army. You've got to be able yeah. to display like why it matters. And I feel like photography is definitely a really great way of doing that. So that's something that you're doing, you know, for sure is that you're very passionate about all of these things and then turning that passion into something that can be shared Right. right. It doesn't necessarily only reach an audience of people that are specifically conservation minded. Right. Anybody can enjoy mm-hmm. pictures of a baby elephant playing in the sand. Dude, right. I got it. Here it is. This is it. This is the moment you need to take pictures of the animals doing something and the picture of the human doing something of the same. <laughs> like the oatmeal on the head and yeah. the grass. Right. Put them side by side. The world could relate. Yeah. No, actually, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> Doing that in some kind of like, you know, graphic, yeah. like, like a book or something would yeah. be really cool. So on that note, we're going to make a little bit of a transition. But what we're talking about here is being able to articulate your passion into something that people are going to relate to right. and then either, you know, contribute in some way to something that you're passionate about or be able to fund and monetize the thing that you're so passionate about so that you can do that full time. Right. 
So I want to talk just a little bit because I think that a lot of times, especially with photographers, anybody that's a freelancer for sure, um, folks that do seasonal work, so some of your different conservation efforts that you've done, I think deal uh, with what I'm about to talk about pretty frequently, and that is that you work a lot in the aesthetic Mm -hmm. in order to present that with folks. And so you don't necessarily uh, spend a lot of time on the back end to make sure that all of your personal, professional, um, you know, portfolio items are consistent or staying uh, up to date, right? Because you care more about the content as opposed to people being able to know about you because Mm -hmm. you care about making sure that they have all this relevant information about the elephant, but not necessarily all the relevant information about Colby because it's not about you. For you, you're just so passionate about conservation that you care about focusing on that. Right. As opposed to focusing on yourself. And something that we've talked about so often is that, you know, um, the amount of impact that you have, the reason one man can change the world is because he can go out and inspire others to make small changes that amount to huge change globally. And so if you want to do that, how do you ensure that you're reaching the audience and that you're impacting the audience the way that you want to impact and in a large scale? So there's a bunch of different ways, and we'll talk about some of this on on future episodes, but there's a couple things that I want to talk about. So for freelancing specifically, you should have some kind of portfolio, Mm -hmm. whether that's like a gallery, right, for Mm -hmm. our photographers or um, any other number of things that you may may perform, right, gig folks can can definitely attest to that. So a portfolio of some kind, but definitely if you're into like the the visual space, while Instagram is great, one, you need to identify what you're using Instagram for. So that's something we talked about a little bit yesterday. Right. So it's like, hey, is Instagram just a way for another avenue for you to create a gallery? Right. Is it something that you want to monetize? Are you taking some of these prints and you're wanting to monetize them for yourself to monetize a hobby? Are you taking these prints and disseminate disseminating the story mm-hmm. so that you get impact and buy-in into something that you really care about, in which case you need to make sure that it's linked in a way that makes sense. And so we started talking a lot about that. And then we realized pretty quickly that not just with the gallery, but more importantly, with the way that you present yourself professionally, that that is what's going to ensure that you are able to articulate your passion with folks elsewhere. So you're living in California, you're taking photographs in Southeast Asia, you're taking photographs in Africa, you're taking photographs in South America, which we didn't really get to go into. You're taking all these photographs, these places that are very geographically separated, right, from a lot of your audience here. And so whenever you're doing that, it's like, how do I make sure that I'm articulating this passion in a way that's going to either generate, you know, that kind of give a crap factor, right, in those people to go out and want to contribute in a way that's meaningful, to you or to specifically contribute to you so that way you can go out and disseminate your your message further right so if you're going through something similar uh, I encourage you one to really find out what your motivation is for posting stuff on social media you want to have a conservation of effort you're spending a lot of time creating this content in order to impact so understand hey is this impact just because it's a hobby for me or is this an impact that I care about no kidding saving this particular species multiple species this particular environment you know, what is it that you're you're really motivated by? And then that will allow you to ensure that all of those other products are linked and there needs to be consistency between those products. So with that, we talked a lot about LinkedIn as well. If you're not super familiar with LinkedIn, and I know a lot of gig artists don't really put a lot of stock in LinkedIn right off the bat, people will should. always yes, people will always at least look at your LinkedIn. That's your professional profile, no That's matter what right. social media outlet you use for your for yes. your content. So even if you're 
not expecting to get a lot of recruiters specifically looking at your content through LinkedIn, if you have the opportunity to meet somebody and through your impassioned presentation, you know, whether that's like verbally or through pictures or whatever it is, they now want to do something, they'll remember you. They'll remember the way that you made them feel and then they will go and they will look you up. They might look at, you know, Facebook, LinkedIn, Insta, all of those things. And there needs to be consistency throughout all of those products. But LinkedIn is 100% your professional profile. And so they will look there. And if somebody, after getting done talking with you, says, hey, you know what? I think I think he'd be a really good fit. I think that he could tell our story really well. And mm-hmm. it's in line with his vision. I think that we could really be of service to each other. But then they're going to look and see, hey, what's what's your experience? Have you done something like this before? Or the things that we talked about, are those consistent with what I see on this profile? Right. And that's when you need to go in and look at that profile. So some things that we looked at is that um, making sure that some simple things like pictures and stuff are consistent right across the way. But then also making sure that your gallery and your resume and all of those things are updated and consistent with everything else. All of those products need to be the same. But then one of the other things we really talked about was the about message, right? Right. And so this all kind of, you know, turned back to you, but your about message originally, um, you know, really emphasized that you're into conservation, which of course is a conservation educator. I can glean that from the title, right? But what I don't necessarily know is what separates you from another candidate and the type of opportunity that you're looking for and why I should care, why I think that you're going to be a good fit. So we talked a little bit about that. If you remember, so the about is who you are, skills that stratify you, and then what you're looking for. So yours is now, if you want to, if you want to say what it is, because I think it's really great. Right. And so like before it's like, Hey, I'm Colby, I'm into conservation and helping people to impact the world. And then now I think we, we clarified that a little bit more if you want to share that. Right. So the, what, yeah, recently I kind of learned about myself this. I'm really interested in human wildlife conflict and specifically like how climate change is going to affect human wildlife conflict, like with habitat, you know, fracturing and wildlife corridors and stuff. And then my, my overall message was, you know, just how I, how I sort of specialize in how climate change is going to affect uh, human wildlife conflict as a conservation educator and that I want to use community engagement or photojournalism um, to build narratives that empower people to change the world around them. That's right. You know, and those are all like huge principal aspects of things that I like wholeheartedly believe in yeah all compiled into like one thing and that's like a pretty powerful statement right you know and like when we were writing this I was like this is I'm getting a little you know right a well heavy it, yeah it's, and it's so it becomes like it should be what I like to call your elevator pitch right right so if, if you're in somewhere and this is the thing you know when we talked about it last night you're like man sometimes I just you know, I'll just start talking about the thing that I care about right then because I've already gone through and, you know, had discussions with people like four or five times throughout the day already talking about all of these different species. And, you know, I'm planning for like the next shoot and doing all of this stuff. And then, you know, if I meet somebody, I just, you know, might be kind of word vomit. And I'm like, you got to tamp that down, right? Because you've got to make sure that always the first thing that you tell them is this pitch, you know, this elevator pitch that tells them, like why everything else that you're going to talk about is something that matters to them because it is, it's just these really great stories, but that right there, just this very simple sentence right off the bat, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll tell people who you are, what you're about Mm -hmm. and what you offer and the opportunities that you're looking for right within 30 seconds. Most of the time, which is about all you have. 
Right. And so if you can get that in all of those statements, all of a sudden they want to know, hey, what else? And then they're going to start asking. And then they're going to realize, oh, photojournalism. Do you have something I can look at? And it's like, oh, sure. And then if we're going back to LinkedIn, we have a gallery that's linked up. Right. Um, or you can tell them that you've got an Instagram and that's maybe some more personal stuff that's on there too. So now all of a sudden you're building that kind of rapport. Um, and they can compare that against a resume if they think they might have a fit for you somewhere. And then on top of it, if you have other pieces, when they see those things and it's all consistent with this narrative that you've told them, you know, now all of a sudden they feel that um, there's this consistency of message and this really polished professionalism that you've displayed and they're ready to, you know, want that inside of their organization right. also. And then they're like, what kind of opportunities are you looking for? Right. You know, what, what, what do you want to do? Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's another you can thing really you can start intro, talking. Yeah. That's another thing you can put in that little like introductory thing, mm -hmm. you know. That's right. So if you're looking for mo more photojournalism um, opportunities for like particular, um, you know, either journals or, uh, you know, periodicals and that kind of thing, and you happen to be talking to somebody that, you know, can possibly even give you an introduction, then it doesn't matter if you've been talking to folks for four or five hours already. You've got to be ready, you know, right. with that pitch and tell them, tell them that right. opportunity that you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're not up there and in their face for yourself, nobody else is going to do it for you. That's right. So, toot and your own horn. Exactly. And you have but to. do a style. <laughs> and the thing is that people really don't want to when they're very impassioned by something, you know, as big picture as mm -hmm. conservation because they feel that it's self-serving and that maybe it's, you know, doing a disservice to conservation because now they're focusing on themselves. And I've encountered that a lot, not just with, um, you know, people that are interested in like conservation, but also in folks that are really proud of nonprofit things that they're right, doing. Right. right. But the idea is that you have to be able to tell people the story about why they care to know more from you because you are the ambassador. Right. So I have not been, well, I've flown over, but I haven't, you know, been on safari in Kenya. Right? right. So I have not been on safari in Kenya. I have not been, you know, in a little two stroke motorboat going down a river in Borneo. You're an ambassador for these animals and for these environments and for these, you know, ecological structures and for the conflict that exists between humans and the environment. That's you. So I need to know why I should listen to you. I need to have that level of credibility and then also why your passion um, is going to contribute to the conversation that we're about to have. And you got to be able to say it in 30 seconds. You know, so that's yeah. a big thing. Really, you only got about three or four, yeah. to be honest. But if you can pass three or four, then at least I'm going to listen to the next 10 to 20. Yeah. So, but your pictures grab pretty quickly. They do. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, maybe, I don't know how, but maybe that's that's part of your 30 second. I mean, if you can find a way to get an image in front of somebody, you're going to, you're, that's twice as powerful, I think, because now whatever you say is going to relate to that image, you know? And so. that's something that we've talked about, too, is that, you know, a lot of times your independent consultants will make sure that they have a card on them at all times. But folks that are, you know, maybe they've got like kind of their full time gig that they're doing. So they're doing um, a lot of guide work or they're working with the California Park System. But then they're also looking for the next opportunity to go for photojournalism. They don't necessarily have a card for the photojournalism piece of it mm -hmm. because they're actively working, you know, as a you know interpretive guide for the California Park System. Right. So you need to make sure that you've got that product also, if you're listening to this cast and you're like, oh, I want to be up doing this other thing full time, mm -hmm. but I've got my main gig. Well, have a couple cards made for the side hustle yeah. that you would, that you're really passionate about that you want to be your main gig. And or or a website. I mean, that's the easiest right. thing. Put it up digitally yeah. because then all you got to do is just hand them a link, you know? Well, that's what I'm saying. And that card, all you need to have on it yeah. is just, you know, you name what you're, what you want to do, yeah. right? As your title. And then you include those links. Yep. So you include the gallery in your case, or you include 
you know, um, you know, links to your Insta or your LinkedIn or any yeah. of those things. And that's, that's it. That's all you have to put on there. And that's going to be like, Oh, and then they'll go look yep. and then there it is, right. you know? Yeah. So, or find the people that you want to work with and go find them, like talk to them, right. Start a relationship. That's the beauty of, that's what I found with social media, especially with LinkedIn. Like yeah, anybody you want to talk to, you can talk to you. Right, you just reach out and, and, yeah, and say something. Yeah, and most of the people that I've sent messages to, they're responsive. They totally respond. Yeah. Like, yeah, cool. And I didn't recently encounter that on Instagram, where like uh, one of the things that I've been developing is just like you know my my photo my photo, my photographic experience is limited. I didn't have like a mentor, have one have someone to teach me how to do these things or how to you know perfect my composition or lighting. I had to teach myself most of that stuff, and then I've also had some really good friends who have lent me some of their expertise as well. And it's only been within like the last year where I started reaching out to some local photographers just to say like, Hey, you are taking photos of these animals. And I've recently taken it upon myself to like focus on these animals specifically. Can you give me some, do you have any materials or any insight on like how to find them, like how to track them, like how to compose these images. And most of them are super stoked to just say like, yeah, Hey, guess what? I live on the other side of the hill. Do you want to go shoot with me? Yeah, exactly. You, you guys know, can nerd out on it together. Take photos with me. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. And then you're just sitting there, you know, like in all these animals. And then he's like, Hey, wait till it does this thing and like try to get that shot. And right. then you're like, Oh, I get it now. You know? And some of it is just, you have to have someone who's doing it professionally show you or yeah. like demonstrate. Experience, you. Yeah. Cause you can look at the images and you're like, Oh, okay. I understand. What's limited, but how do I fix it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, and, and, you know, and so that networking component is also really critical, right? Yeah. Like as you're trying and to I don't expand think other than like through, you know, direct messaging these photographers, I don't think for me anyway, Instagram hasn't been a good platform for that. And I've been, I've been trying to use it in that way to try and get more exposure, but it's, you know, there was definitely a spike when I was in Kenya because everyone loves safari mm -hmm. photos. But then as soon as I started putting, posting stuff about like California wildlife, even though I'm taking like really beautiful photos of owls, you know? Yeah. Well, and no you know, one, like very few people really yeah. care. Right. Know? And we talked about that too, is that there's different ways to use all of these. And so that's something that we might bring up in a future episode, but that each one of these, um, you know, platforms, you have to be able to manipulate it in a native way and you can't treat them all the same. Right. Yeah. So there's definitely that. And then you, if you don't know exactly what your motivation is for using that platform, you won't be able to take advantage of, mm -hmm. you know, of the platform to its full you, extent. You probably, Absolutely. honestly, you need to check out, I think you, you're probably leaning more towards like the Adobe platform, like the, uh, um, uh, Beyonce or whatever it's called. Uh, Behance. Yeah. Behance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I had, I had a Behance account for a while and just part of it is like, I don't know how to use it. Yeah. You know? And so, and, and there are like, so I know a guy, and stuff, and I know like a guy. You, just send me the pictures. <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll work it out. Cool. I'll bill you later. <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause it's part, there are all these platforms to get you exposure and like Flickr is a really good one. If you can get in with yeah. some of these, like, um, these photographer groups and you can send your images in mm -hmm. and you can also say like, Hey, you know, looking for feedback on this image and people will do that. Part of it is just like, you know, if you had a community already mm -hmm. that, and you, it, that was local and you could just, they were like California wildlife photographers and I'm sure they exist. Oh, sure. Um, and then you could, you had like, you know, one-to-one, -one, you know, in, in-person interface as well as this like photographic community to like bounce these images around it and just say like, Hey, what do you think? Like, is this cool? Like, does this work? Like, how should I change this in the future? Right. And I think that's really great for feedback. And that's also something that I think we talked a little bit about is that those who are, you know, like artistically inclined, creatively inclined, um, you know, doing some of this freelance work is that they will get 
and rightfully so because that's what makes them masters of their craft, um, you know, like really into the weeds of, you know, wanting to get that feedback and trying to figure out how they can do it better, but not necessarily working on getting the content itself to a bigger audience. And so what you get is a lot of familiarity within those communities that you're building. And so you have like a really dedicated following amongst the people like locally to your Instagram. But if you're not using those platforms also to disseminate the information, not just for feedback purposes, but for exposure purposes, then you may not be getting, um, you know, as many opportunities to monetize it in a way that's going to either support it as a hobby or as a full time job. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that I think is just so important for us to kind of bring back here is that you, you know, if you're listening to this and you have this really wonderful creative ability, such as Colby with these pictures and please go and check them out. Um, what you need to also focus on is that you need to take as much time to seriously consider like your professional presentation. And so that is, you know, absolutely critically important. And that professional presentation, once you get the motivation for exactly what you want it to do, is it just a hobby? Is it a hobby you want to monetize? Is it your part-time thing is just, you know, brings you joy, but is also an extra source of income? Or is it something that you want to be a full-time job? Once you get that, then you know exactly how much effort you need to be putting in in order to get that return. Yeah. There's a lot of different ways that you can do that. Definitely check out themotodoll.com. We can talk with some of those things a little bit further. Um, but I hope that you got a little bit of value from that and that one, these just really incredible, crazy stories about, you know, Kenya and Borneo. Elephants um, throwing grass. That's right. And I don't think we talked about like the lion suffocating the zebra or. Yeah, that was you you know, super cool. About the cheetahs. A, a yeah. Bring it down. Right. So, you know, like, and just these incredible narratives, you know, that just bring us back into the system right. again. Right. Yeah, like, where there's As a story that's it. like very evident. You're like, okay, this should be easy to tell. That's right. You know, and so, just finding the best way to tell it in order yeah. to impact the widest yeah. audience. And that's something that we can definitely Find help your vehicle. you with. Yep. So for those that want to see it again, where's, where can they go to see all your pictures? Super easy. Colby dot Davidson, C O L B Y dot D A V I D S O N. And he can spell it. He's on Instagram. So fancy. Big letters, big <laughs> words. <laughs> so, um, okay. So we're, we're kind of close to the end of time here, but, um, dude, awesome stories. So, Thanks, like, seriously, like, nice path of life. Thanks. Like, yeah. You're doing okay, man. You're yeah, doing I'm, okay. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty fortunate. I yeah. mean, you're able to travel to these places, right? Yeah. So you're, yeah. you're doing all right. Yeah. Well, it's also like really early on, I figured out what I wanted to do in life, Yeah. you know, and I was able to really like hone down and focus on that. Yeah. And it, the passion like hasn't gone away. It's just gotten bigger. That's cool. So that's good. Yeah. So now we'll just find you the right vehicle and make you famous. Yes. Find uh, me the right vehicle. That's right. Please. Yep. And if you're looking for that, make sure that you visit themotodoll.com. That's themotodoll.com. Have we figured out a sign-off for you yet? I think we just kind of go back and forth on yeah. it. So we'll Thanks, figure Motohead. one out, or, or, you, or you can, or yeah, toodles. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or, uh, or, or maybe people could submit their own opinion, and we'll, we'll take. A there we go. Opinion. The best sign-off for the Moto Doll. Yeah. Now taking your opinion, we'll yeah. select the Love best. For toodles. Win a cool picture of a zebra getting eaten. Welcome to Business Radio X Pensacola. You're listening to Moto Talk with Emily Elmore, brought to you by the Moto Doll. We're bringing you stories of planes, cars, trucks, and things that go. And along the way, we'll learn about the incredible humans behind the motors and take the lessons learned on the road, in the cockpit, and under the hood to smash through our own roadblocks and journey boldly.
Vintage School of Business Radio. You can find us at Bicola Radio X on Twitter, Bicola BRX on Facebook. You can find us on LinkedIn at businessradioxstudios.pensacola, or you can find us on Instagram at Pensacola Business Radio, or on our websites at businessradiox.com, or on our live feed at businessradiox.live. If you are interested in being a guest on Business Radio X, please visit either one of our sites or our social media sites to find a link to book your appearance. This has been Pensacola Business Radio, where business is good and your work matters.